Hey there, everyone. I sure hope your day has been lovely so far. We're now on lesson 133, I Will Not Value What Is Valueless. And then it jumps right in and says, well, sometimes there's benefit after we've gone through all this theoretical and far out material to bring us back to practical concerns. Well, that's a good idea. The whole point of this is to be practical. So that's what we're going to do today. We will not speak of lofty, world-encompassing ideas, but instead dwell on benefits to you. Well, it seems like all of these have been benefits to us, but we might not have been able to recognize that. It goes right on to say, you don't ask too much of life, but far too little. When you allow your mind to be drawn to bodily concerns, things you buy, what you look like, your eminence is valued in the world, and so on, all the things we've been taught are important, you ask for sorrow, not for happiness. It's like, darn, I thought if I got all those things right, then somehow happiness would result. No. This course does not attempt to take from you the little that you have. It does not try to substitute grand utopian ideas for satisfactions, which the world contains. Then it makes a very big statement, there are no satisfactions in the world. In other words, forms themselves are not satisfactory. How often have you gotten something that you thought you really wanted, whether that was a person, place, thing, trip, whatever, and momentarily it took your interest where you wanted it to go. But after that, you thought, okay, what's the next thing? There's not permanent satisfaction. So now it says, today we will list the real criteria by which to test anything you think you want. And unless it meets these requirements, they're not worth desiring at all, for they can only replace what offers more. In other words, they're too small. What you would get if you get your way and when you get your way, you're covering up something that's way better. The laws that govern choice, you can't make any more than you can make the alternatives from which to choose. The choosing you can do, indeed you must, but you must learn the laws you set in motion when you choose and what alternatives you choose between. In other words, when we do our choosing, we cannot help but be manifesting or creating our experience. Okay, we have already stressed there are only two choices, love and fear, obviously, no matter how many alternatives there may appear to be. This range is set and we can't change this. And then it says it would be very ungenerous to you to let you think there are 57 different alternatives and you have to plow your way through all of those only to find, nope, there are really only two. So there you go. Another kindly and related law is that there's no compromise in what the choice must bring. It cannot give you just a little. In other words, we can't say, well, I would like part from this column and part from this column, or I would like some sort of a gray in between. I want some things that the world offers and some things that love offers. Nope, you either get all or nothing. And then it goes on to say, each choice you make brings you everything or it brings you nothing.
In other words, it brings you the experience of reality and being awake, or it leaves you in the illusions or the hallucinations which without substance cannot satisfy. Therefore, if you learn these tests by which you can distinguish everything from nothing, or another way to say it, what you really want from what is very unsatisfactory, then you can make a better choice. So here are these tests to help us choose. First, if you choose something that will not last forever, then what you've chosen is without any value. A temporary value has no value. Time can never take away what is real. It cannot take away a value that is real. Temporary, of course, has to do with time. So what fades and dies wasn't ever there. Remember, these are illusions that just come and go and come and go and makes no offering to him who chooses it. We are deceived by nothingness in a form we think we like, a form that we think will satisfy. Next, if you're going to take away something from someone else, you're going to have nothing left. That's because when you deny a right to someone else to have everything, you have denied your own. Remember this huge law that what you want for someone else is what you get. You therefore are not going to recognize the things you really have if you're trying to get from someone else because you're denying that you already have them. Remember, when you want something, you are implicitly saying, I don't have it. So, whoever seeks to take away from something or someone else has been deceived by the illusion that their loss can offer you your gain. And yet, anytime you want to extract something from someone else, i.e. want them to suffer loss, you will too. Then the next thing you have to think about is, why is this choice you're making of value to you in the first place? What attracts your mind to it? What purpose does it serve? Now here it says, is the easiest place of all to be deceived, because what the ego wants it fails to recognize and it doesn't even tell the truth as it perceives it because it needs to keep its halo, which it uses to protect its goals. In other words, we have to think it's really on our side from tarnish and from rust that we can see how innocent it is. And you might say, well, what are its goals? Well, its goals would be your destruction <laughs> and your suffering and your death and it wants conflict and it wants you to feel guilty. And who wants that? Well, that's what it wants for you. In the text, it says it ranges from suspicious if you're actually trying to accomplish its goals to vicious if you start to set yourself free. Yet this camouflage of trying to show up as such a lovely, innocent thing is a thin veneer, which only deceives those who want to be deceived. Its goals, those awful things mentioned earlier, are obvious to anyone who looks for them. Here is deception doubled. For any of us who are deceived won't perceive that we've merely failed to gain. We're going to believe we've actually accomplished the ego's goals. Now, remember, accomplishment of the ego's goals is always going to lead to our feeling guilty. So then, 
It says, we try to keep this ego's halo clear in our vision, but we still can't help but see its tarnished edges and its rusted cores. Here's the sad part. These ineffectual mistakes that we make appear like sins to us because the hallucination seems so real. It seems like we really have done the hurting of ourselves or other people. And it feels this way because it looks upon this ego tarnish as its own. In other words, we think this ego is me. The rust a sign of deep unworthiness within himself. We have all learned that we're undeserving, unworthy, there's something the matter with us, and we better stay small. He who would still preserve the ego's goals and serve them makes no mistakes according to his view of things. This guidance from the ego says it's an error to think your sins are mistakes. They're actually crimes. And if we hadn't bought into that, we wouldn't be suffering. We would just recognize our choices as mistaken and move on. And so we come to the criteria for choice that's the hardest to believe because its obviousness is overlaid with many levels of obscurity. If you feel guilt about any choice, then you've allowed the ego's goals to come between the real alternatives. In other words, you're doing what your ego programming says to do. And thus, you're just not going to realize that there are only two alternatives, love and fear, and the alternative you think you have chosen, this being on the ego side, seems so fearful and too dangerous to be the nothingness it actually is. Hallucinations aren't inherently dangerous. It's just that we're terrified. Okay, so it says all things are valuable or valueless, worthy or not of being sought at all, entirely desirable or not worth the slightest effort to obtain. So choosing is easy because of this. Complexity is a big smokescreen, which hides this very simple fact that no decision is difficult. What is the gain to you in learning this? It is way more than merely letting you choose easily and without pain. Heaven itself, unity and love itself is reached with empty hands, open minds, where we come with nothing to find everything and claim it as our own. And so we're going to try to reach this state today with self-deception, all that guilt and ego stuff laid aside with an honest willingness to value only what's valuable and real, which is always related to love, forgiveness, generosity, unity, etc. So the two practice periods of 15 minutes each begin thusly. I will not value what is valueless. That would be all the stuff in the hallucination. And only what has value do I seek, love, forgiveness. For only that do I actually want to find. And then receive what waits for everyone who reaches unencumbered to the gate of heaven, which swings open as he comes. Okay, if you begin to let yourself collect some needless burdens, that would be grievances and fears and judgments, or believe you see some very difficult decisions facing you, be quick to answer with this idea. I will not value what is valueless, for what is valuable, 
which are all things loving and good, belong to me. Have a really wonderful day. Goodbye for now.